The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. So, in the previous hour, we talked about Obamacare and why, why, why Republicans cannot repeal it, and indeed why most Americans don't want Republicans to repeal it, including, I believe, most Republicans. Most Republicans do not want the repeal of Obamacare. Why? Because they believe it's their moral responsibility to care for their neighbor, and they are quite happy for the government to force them to do it, because it's more convenient, it's easier. Why deal with the neighbor directly when you can have the government step in and deal indirectly? So let me try to sum up the point this way. Let's say your neighbor gets sick and he hasn't got insurance and, you know, bad stuff is going to happen. And they come to you and they, and so my point is your neighbor only has two choices in a sense. They can come to you and they can ask for your help. Look, man, I, I, I was irresponsible. I didn't buy insurance. I'm screwed now. Things are really bad. Help me out. Can you help me? get the health care that I need, the treatment that I need, otherwise I'm going to die or my ch- child's going to die or whatever, right? And then you get to decide whether to help or not. And in most cases, people would help, but it would be dependent on your own values. Do I have the money? Do my kids need the money right now? Am I using the money to pay for my kid's school, which is more important to me than my neighbor's health? It is, by the way. My kid's schooling, my kid's health is more important to me than your health. That's the reality. I'm a self-interested person. My kids, I love my kids more than I love your kids. I don't really love your kids. I like them maybe. Maybe they're okay, but I don't love them. So when I decide whether to help you or not, it's going to be in the context of my life. What? How much money do I have? What other demands are there on that money? How big of an emergency is it? And I might say no to you. Now the question is, Does me saying no to my neighbor about helping him out in order to even to save his life. I'm not willing to pay to to give up my entire checking account in order for somebody else to save somebody's life who I don't know and I don't care about. Not willing to do it. I'm self-interested and I believe in the morality of self-interest. I believe this is right. We should all be like this. And the neighbor should have thought about this, should have invested in his own long-term well-being by buying insurance or saving or whatever, right? So he doesn't get a right because I said no to pull out a gun and steal my money. Everybody says, oh, no, that's theft. That's bad. Okay, see, he doesn't do that. What he does is he goes to the neighborhood and he gets all the neighbors to vote to steal my money. And somehow that's okay. That's democracy. In democracy, it's okay to steal my money. And, And this is what's so, so, so horrible here, right? is that because because somebody is needy, because my neighbor's needy, we skip over the phase of his asking because we assume some of us will say no, legitimately so in my view, and we go straight to, we're going to force you to help him out. We're going to basically pull out a gun and force you. You were responsible. You bought insurance. You took care of your family. Well, you're going to pay the price for that responsibility. You are going to sacrifice you. And most moral codes, including the Christian moral code, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be a critic of Christianity in this show. 
um, and, and Judaism and Islam and all religion. But the moral code is going to say, it's your moral responsibility to help him. You, you, you can't not. And if we're going to force you, then you just have to accept it. Because your life doesn't matter. Your health doesn't matter. What matters is his health. Your moral responsibility in life, this is altruism. This is what the morality of altruism means. Your moral responsibility in life is to help other people. And the more needy they are, the more you should help them. I say no. And it's time Americans stood up and said, no. I want to take care of myself. I'll take care of the people I want to take care of. Don't burden me. Don't burden me. Don't put on my shoulders. The responsibility of taking care of people I have not chosen to take care of. My moral responsibility is only to the people I choose. And I choose based on my values, based on my own life, based on my own happiness and success. You only get one life. You only get one shot at this. Make the most of it. Live for yourself, not for your neighbor. As nice as the neighbor is, your life is not his. You don't mortgage your life to him because he has needs, because he has wants, because he has not been responsible, or even if he had an accident. And I'm not saying we don't help. I'm saying you help when it's in your self-interest help. You help when it's a benevolence. You help when your neighbor says thank you because he appreciates the fact that you're helping, that you don't owe him. And yes, Americans have always been benevolent. Indeed, people who are free, people who pursue their own happiness, people who are focused on their own well-being and who are responsible for themselves are the most benevolent people in the world. But you do it out of benevolence, not out of duty. Out of benevolence, not out of moral duty. When you do it out of moral duty, that's bad. It's bad for you. And, more, and, 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 and importantly, gives, it opens that window for government to step in and say, well, it's your moral duty. We're just helping you out to exercise your moral duty. And if we don't, bad things are going to happen and you should feel guilty for it. All right. Um, I'm going to quickly go to JJ, uh, JJ from Pop Springs, because he's been waiting on the line for so long, even though it's not related to this topic. Go ahead, JJ, ask your question. I don't know if I have an answer. Oh, all right. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Yaron, uh, for having the ability to make such a complex topic and subject so simple and commonsensical. I don't know why people don't get this stuff, but I just want well, to say we'll thank find you. out it's if so it's great. if it's simple and commonsensical by 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 whether people turn my turn the radio off when they hear me, and whether we can convince anybody out there. We will see. We will see. I'll tell you. The first time I heard you, I felt like turning it off. I was a little pissed off, but. <laughs> you know, after a while, it started nagging at me, and I and I started thinking, yeah, you know, you might have a point on that last thing you said, and eventually I came around. So, oh, that's I, a great story. I, I, I think there's hope. That. Yep. Last week, you talked on your show about the importance of teaching about how kids aren't taught history, and even adults aren't. Yep. And you seem to know a lot about history, about the founding fathers, and just Western history in general, and so. Uh, I, I see my kids now, and I see the, the, the stuff that they're being taught. It's very politicized, and I'm just so, wondering if, if there's a good a resource or a good place to get resources where I can start teaching my kids proper I mean, history, I, you know, the right... I'll, I'll investigate that, because it's a great question, and I don't have a simple answer, and partially because it would take a lot of work to figure it out, particularly for kids. Um, 
But but let me do some research on that and get back to you in a future show. But let me tell you this unequivocally. The stuff they're learning in school is not history. The stuff they're learning in school is to a large extent propaganda. Uh, you know, it, it, it was written by academics, and most of the academics in American schools, most of the people who, who write this history are, uh, are Marxists of, of various kinds and various forms. So you have most of the history today uh, in American history, for example, you know, simple. The Industrial Revolution is a huge, huge, huge part of Western civilization, a huge part of, 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 uh, of the success of America and of the success of the West. And what do, what do the kids learn about it? Child labor, oh, the poor, poor people, oh, the pollution it caused, oh, all these bad things, without any context about the fact that before the Industrial Revolution, everybody was poor, and the Industrial Revolution is the only thing that brought us out of poverty, without the context of the fact that before the Industrial Revolution, all kids worked, and indeed, it's the Industrial Revolution that got kids into school because now parents could afford to send them to school. And on and on and on and on you go. And it's very difficult to find a textbook, for example, that appreciates the role, the, the unprecedented role, the, the magnificent role, the, just the beauty of the Industrial Revolution. It, it just doesn't exist because of the political, philosophical orientation of almost everybody who writes history, particularly for kids, unfortunately. So... So mm -hmm. I'll do some research and try to find it, but uh, but you, what you got to do is 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 I think ultimately you're going to have to find some adult books and you're going to have to present them to your kids in a way that they can understand them. I don't think you're going to find something written for kids that's going to do it right, or at least not one source that has it all. All right. Yeah. I'm all right. Okay Thanks with that. for that's calling, JJ. Cool. Really appreciate it. Keep on listening, and you're listening to your own book show. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And We'll take some calls from Slav and from Matt. We'll be right back. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600. 8192. So my big point, my big point is your needs. I don't care how needy you are. I'm not a claim on my life. I'm not a claim on my wealth. I'm not a claim on my time. They're not a claim on the doctor's time either. Doctors, doctors should be able to negotiate their own prices. Not be told by the government how much they can charge which is what Medicare does. They should be able to negotiate with patients. We should be free. Now, let me be clear about Medicare. I don't, I don't want to scare any of you guys. I, I realize that a lot of you are paid in and you expect to get something in return. And if you're 65, you're afraid, oh, your aunt's going to eliminate Medicare and I'm going to die. Look, these things have to be phased out. Social Security, Medicare have to be phased out. I'd say over a generation or two, you phase them out completely to zero. There should be no Social Security. There should be no Medicare. You should save. What a concept. What a concept. Save for retirement. Take responsibility over your own life. Buy lifelong insurance, which would be available in a free market. Phase it out. 
phase it out. So most of you put your money in, you'll get some of it back. I don't think you should get all of it back. It was stolen from you a long time ago. And I don't see any reason why your kids and grandkids should be enslaved to paying you off because that's what would happen. Do you know that for every dollar you pay in Medicare taxes, that you paid over your lifetime, you are likely to spend in Medicare four times more, $4 for every dollar you paid in. Where did the extra three come from? Not that the one was saved anyway. So where do those four come from? From your kids and grandkids. Their, their income is being taken from them by force in order to provide you with health care. How is that right? How is that moral? How is that just? Let's sacrifice the young for the sake of the poor. Let's screw the young. Let's make economic growth zero for them. Let's take their money and give it to old people so they can live six months longer. I mean, it's the, mor the morality is completely upside down. Why are we doing this? Because the young, they're healthy. They, they've got a whole lifetime before them. The old, the needy, the, the sick, the poor, they're dying. So we need to sacrifice the young for the sake of the old. That's what Social Security is. That's what Medicare is. And that's why until you are ready to talk about eliminating those programs, phasing them out, you cannot talk about doing away with Obamacare. It's the same principle. Obamacare did exactly the same thing, sacrificed the young and the healthy for the sake of the middle-aged and, 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 and sick. Why? Why is it? Why do you get penalized for being young and healthy? Why do you get penalized for being old and healthy? Why do you get penalized for taking care of yourself? Why do you get penalized for buying insurance? Why do you get penalized for saving? But that's the system we live in because we believe in this altruistic morality that says, uh, -uh your responsibility in life is not to take care of yourself. Not to live your own life, not to save, be responsible. Your moral responsibility, your, your, your purpose in life is to serve other people. Your purpose in life is to take care of the needy. The ideal is that all of us become other Teresas. I don't know who would actually build anything if we were all Mother Teresas. The, the entire Western civilization would collapse. The world would collapse into poverty, deprivation, hunger, and starvation. But I'm all ideal dictates we should. Mother Teresa becomes a saint. The guys in, 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 in Silicon Valley, you guys who work for a living, who, who, who take care of your families, who work hard every day, who produce, who create, who build, you don't get sainthood. You don't get na roads named after you. You don't get bridges named after you. But if we all became Mother Teresa's, what would happen to the world? Collapse. Total, ultimate collapse. Destruction, poverty, and death. But that's the moral code we have to get rid of. We have to get rid of with all the implications that that entails. And if you keep listening to the show, we'll get to all the implications that that entails. All right, I want to go to, uh, let's see, Matt in Pennsylvania. Hi, Matt. You're on your own book show. What's up? Hi, Yaron. Um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I appreciate the uh, discussion that we're having today, the Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, kind of building on, on what you just said, and I think that was a great lead-in, probably having some information on my call. I mean, the one question I've been bouncing around in my head is you say, why do our representatives say one thing and do another thing? Um, you know, just reading some articles, I look at the 115th Congress, and it's going to be one of the oldest in history, with the average age being 57 for the House, 61 for the Senate. Um, you look at Michigan, the 13th District, they have an 87-year-old representative for an average constituency wow. of 35 years old. Wow. Um, and I kind of look at it in the context of, you know, the broader, the greatest generation who was the parents of the current generation leading the country. 
And, you know, I look at my grandparents, you know, I'm 31 years old. I'm one of those dreaded millennials. You know, my wife and I both went to college, worked through college. We have two daughters now. We live in our own home. We pay a mortgage. We go to work yep. every day. Yep. Took, took boring um, careers, nursing yep. and accountant, and we're working our way through it. And I look out at the troubles that our country is facing, and I look at, you know, kind of the base of the decision makers and you know do they have a vested interest in this and is this really driving well of course they do up there yeah i mean i mean look man the fact is that old people vote young people don't and when young people vote they vote stupid they they vote for bernie sanders i mean young people millennials overwhelmingly pro bernie sanders so you have socialists among the young and you have basically uh uh people who just want wealth to be redistributed in their in their direction among the very old and everybody in the middle is stuck, right? It doesn't matter what you think because these people outvote you and, and they, they, you know, they, they're going to they're gonna get their programs passed at your expense. So age definitely plays a factor. You're not going to have a very old legislature and very old voters voting to dismantle Social Security and dismantle Medicare. That just is not going to happen, right? So, um, you know, you're 31, you're screwed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the nutshell that I see our country in, and I think, I think that's that's the but, answer but for we're just going to have to get through these next fifteen, twenty years. But it's not enough, right? Because the fact is that it's not like the other generations are better, and it's not like when your generation gets to be sixty-five, you'll be willing to give up on Social Security and Medicare. It's these, and it's not like uh, young people have a better set of philosophical ideas. One of the reasons old people have a hard time dismantling the welfare state is because the older you get, the more riddled with guilt you get over your own success. So if you hold the wrong moral code, when you, who are being responsible all your life, as you get older, people will keep pointing out to you all the people in need and keep trying to use guilt on you to try to force you to help them. And guilt is a very f- powerful tool. And because of the, this morality of altruism, because of the morality of self-sacrifice, because of the morality that says that it's your moral responsibility to help those people, everybody feels guilty. And it, almost everybody feels guilty. And it's that guilt that they manipulate, that they use. So it's much more sophisticated than just old people get the money, so they vote for it. It's not just that they get the money. They also feel guilty about all the self-interested things they did through their life. And they, they're fine with taxes and regulations and controls in order to appease their guilt in some way. Does that make sense? So it's, yeah, my no, point I is it's far more difficult than what you're suggesting to fix the problem because, because you have to go to the heart of the problem. You have to go to the core of the problem, which is this morality. And 31-year-olds, your generation of millennials, are just as guilty of altruism, are just as guilty of the morality of self-sacrifice as our 75-year-olds. You just have a different spin on it and your spin, unfortunately, causes you to vote for Bernie Sanders. Well, I mean, I would, Not I would you say personally. the folks in my household voted for Donald Trump um, because we looked at the alternative. Yep. Um, we would have we would have much much rather voted for someone like Rand Paul. Yep. Um, I think that's kind of the ideal. Yeah, but you're unusual, millennial. right? Especially, well, no. You I have mean, to admit you're unusual because Rand Paul didn't have a chance, did not have a chance. Well, no, I don't school. think I'm unusual in the group that watched the Twin Towers get attacked while we were in high school. Yep. Went to Iraq and Afghanistan, yep. and you know I have friends who don't have limbs, and I have friends who are dead. So I mean, I think there's, I think there's a misunderstanding of what the millennial group is. There's, there's a group that's coming out of college right now, that's oh. all gun ho, Bernie Sanders. Then there's the, the hardworking. Some of us went and sacrificed. Some of us stayed at home, 
came through a recession, went to college. I mean, the, I mean hard the, Matt, I have to cut you off because we're going to a break. Right. But let me just say, I mean, that is all fantastic. The fact is, though, that you guys are minority and that, that even within yep. your generation, uh, you're not a majority. But suddenly among young people, if you take 18 to 40 as, as young, you're just a tiny minority. And, and what we need is to educate young people about how they are being sacrificed for the sake of the elderly, how they are being sacrificed and destroyed, and that how they need to become proponents of free markets. All right, we have to take a break here, hard break. This is the Iran Brooks Show. We'll be right back. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Yaron Brooks Show. All right, so we're talking about the root cause of, of, of the inability to get rid of Obamacare, in my view, is a morality that is everywhere in this country. The morality that places the well-being of those in need above anything else, everything, the standard for everything, the standard for good, the standard for legislation, the standard for who, who we like politically and who we don't like politically, is the impact I'll have on the needy including, including uh, those who don't have health insurance. So, you know, it's, it's, you got to get rid of this morality. You got to shift morality. You got to shift the morality of, of self-interest, of the pursuit of happiness, of taking care of yourself, of being responsible for your own health care. And people who really can't, people who really, really are challenged, which is a fraction of a percentage point, very few people in the world today cannot take care of themselves very few people well okay then you establish a safety net voluntarily through charities to take care of them but in no there's no role for government here government is force government is coercion government is there not government is not there to help people government is there to protect people protect us from fraud and criminals and and gangsters and terrorists and invaders the root problem is altruism. It's the idea that your moral responsibility is to serve others. All right, now, you know, it's a challenge because I promised to do other topics. Okay, Stuart, but Stuart, you have to be really quick because I have to go on to talk about Islam. Go ahead, quickly. You're Stuart, right. You there? I wish people were... Aloha. You're right. I wish people were... Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Government is a weapon, not a charity. Yeah, I mean, government is a gun. Everything about government is force, it's coercion. And therefore, I don't believe guns belong in schools. That's why I don't believe in government schools. I don't believe guns uh, should be involved in providing health care. That's why I don't believe government should be in health care. I believe that government should be only do what, what guns are good for. And guns are good for protection. Guns are good for self-defense. And that's the role of government. It's to, it's to defend us. And it's to arbitrate disputes so we don't start shooting each other. But other than that, it should leave us alone. And it, we can organize to help people who really need our help. The problem is most of the people today don't really need our help. They're just lazy or they just haven't thought about it or they just are relying on the system to take care of them. But they don't take personal responsibility for themselves. And then I'm supposed to pay for them. You're supposed to pay for them. All of us who did take care of ourselves 
who were responsible are supposed to take care of them. And that's just evil. That is wrong. That's morally, 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 ethically offensive. And that's the reorientation. We need a, the left has a, dominates the moral high ground. Thanks to it. Really appreciate the call. We're going to go to Slav in a second. But the left dominates the moral high ground because they say, look, it's moral, it's good, it's virtuous. You all believe to help other people. All we're trying to do is help other people. All we're trying to do is take care of the needy. How can you be against taking care of the needy? And I go, it's not the government's job to take care of the needy. You know what? It's not even my job to take care of the needy. And you want to take care of the needy, you go do it. And if somebody wants me to take care of them, they have to prove to me that, that there's a value in, for me to take care of them. They have to prove to me some that they're, that they're good human beings at the very least, that they're not being completely irresponsible. Because you know what? If you're completely irresponsible, don't expect my help. And until our politicians are willing to say that. No, but, but we get the politicians we deserve. You'll hear this a lot on this show. We get the politicians we deserve. Until we are willing to say that. Until we, the people, are willing to say, your health care is your responsibility. Get into trouble, you can come and ask me. I might help you. I might not. We have to have the option of not helping. Until we're willing to consider the option of not helping, Government will take over, and government will do it all for us. All right, we're going to take Slav quickly, although I don't really have an answer for Slav. Slav, go ahead. Slav, by the way, is calling from Montenegro. I think this may be the first call ever on the blaze from Montenegro. Go ahead, Slav. Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, first of all, I, I would like to send you greetings uh, in the name of Montenegrin students for liberty, and thank you for your lecture that you gave us in April. Uh, my question is regarding uh, taxes and economic growth. Uh, how would you comment or explain uh, Germany and Sweden, for example? Uh, they have a pretty big uh, tax rate, and still they are the they have the strongest and the most successful yeah. economies yeah. Uh, so Slav, in Europe. So yes. I, how would you explain that? Slav, yeah. I mean, thanks, thanks for the question. I'm not going to give you a full answer right now because I, I want to get to this other topic that I promised. But I, I promised to devote a whole show to this. And, and I've, I've, I've spoken a lot about Sweden and Germany. And look, taxes are higher in Sweden and Germany, but it's not all about taxes. I, I talked about this earlier in the show. For example... Sweden has lower regulations on many things than the United States does. Sweden has, uh, has uh, it's easier to start a business in Sweden than it is in the U.S. It's certainly easy to run a bank in Sweden than it is in the U.S. It's not just taxes and the obsession of free market people and obsession particularly of Republicans with taxes is mistaken. And we can, you know, and I will do a whole show about the history of Sweden and what's happened. But Sweden has actually shrunk the role of government in the economy since 1994. The difference between Sweden and America is very small indeed. By some measures, Sweden is more economically free, as is Germany, than the United States of America is today. So it's not obvious because they have higher taxes that they're less free than America. Um, I would still, in terms of, just because we're talking about healthcare, I would still, I would rather have healthcare, uh, health insurance in the United States than Germany or Sweden. If I got cancer, health, health uh, or, or heart disease, I would rather be treated in the United States because I have health insurance and I can find the best doctors in the world here. 
And indeed, if you get really, really sick in one of these countries, the best remedy is to come to the U.S. So, you know, this whole story about about Sweden and Germany doing so well is distorted by the fact that every economy in the world is a mixed economy. And then how you so it's a mixture of socialism and capitalism and uh, some in America and Germany and Sweden are not that different. It's just the mixtures are different, and, and it's complicated to unwind the mixtures. But this, this idea that um, they're socialists and we're capitalists, and they're as, uh, growing as fast as we are, it's just nonsense, because they're not socialists, and we're not capitalists. We're all just mixtures. But again, I'll devote a whole show to this. So, Slav, thank you. appreciate you listening, and, and keep listening, and uh, watch out for the show on Sweden and on Europe on a relationship between taxes and economic growth. Oh, all right. Thanks, Slav. Uh, one other point. Uh, somebody on the, on the chat here on Facebook says, look, the real problem is statism. It's not. Statism is the consequence of altruism. Statism and collectivism are the consequence of the fact that we feel morally obligated to take care of our brothers, that we feel morally obligated to, to love our neighbor like ourselves. I don't love my neighbor like myself. I don't love his kids like my kids. I don't love him like I love me. I love me more. And you should love you more. And if you don't, work on it. I don't, I, I don't believe I'm my brother's keeper. I'm my keeper. I'm my kid's keeper. I took on that responsibility. I'm not my brother's keeper. Didn't choose that. But once you accept that moral code that you are, that your purpose is to sacrifice for your neighbor, statism is necessary because we don't naturally take care of our brother like ourselves. We don't naturally love our neighbor like we do ourselves. And therefore, you need a state to force us to do it. And that's the origin of statism. You don't get statism without altruism. Altruism is the source of communism. It's the source of fascism. And it's the source of every form of statism that exists out there. All right. You're listening to Iran Book Show. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back to wrap up by talking about Islam and the left. This is the Yaron Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network. So some of the commercials during the break uh, forced me to, to, to smile and laugh. I, a, as you'll discover if you listen to the show, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an atheist and don't believe in praying and any of that. So um, good for the blaze for, for being willing to carry an atheist on their, on their channel. I give uh, Glenn Beck a lot of credit uh, for that. But, but it just makes me laugh when I hear um, prayer being a supernatural weapon. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point here uh, down the road. Uh, look, if you're interested in anything I have to say, I, I encourage you to follow me on Facebook. It's Ybrook, Y-B-R-O-O-K. Uh, and on Twitter, Yaron Brook, Y-A-R-O-N-B-R-O-O-K. Would love to have you as a follower on both those networks. You'll get a lot of news from me. I do a lot of writing. Also, you know, I have a couple of books, a couple of books that I think uh, many of you would be interested in. Um, that uh, Glenn in, in the past on the on the blaze and on Fox in the distant past has praised, um, you know, free market revolution, free market revolution, how Ayn Rand's ideas can end big government. That's a book I think you will all enjoy. 
it challenge you. It'll push you a little bit, but but you could benefit from. It would be good. It would be good. And uh, then you can ask me lots of questions about it when you call in. And my latest book that came out last year called Equal is Unfair. Equal is Unfair. That should challenge you a little bit. All right. Um, I want to I wanna talk about something different right now, and I'm not going to have a lot of time, so this is going to be really quick, hit and run kind of thing, but it, it, it was big in the news this week, or at least in some news, news outlets this week, and I just got to say something about this. Uh, I'm going to say more in the future about this, maybe next week, because uh, I think this is, this is really a, a, crucial, a crucial issue. But, uh, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, two uh, women were invited to testify in front of Congress, uh, Ayan Hosi Ali and uh, Asra uh, Nomani. And these are women who were raised a Muslim and who are very critical of, of uh, Islamic culture, uh, very critical of the way of Sharia law, of the way uh, Islamists practiced, uh, practice Islam, and very critical of the culture that surrounds it. Very, very critical, for example, of, of what happens in places like Saudi Arabia. Remember, Donald Trump visited, danced with them. They're the best friends. All American presidents make best friends with the Saudis, yet... As Ayn Hissi Ali and uh, Asra Nawani presented, Saudi Arabia is one of the most barbaric cultures in the world, particularly in how they treat women. You think about uh, female genital mutilation. In other words, destroying the, the capacity of women to enjoy sex and, and doing that when, they, when they're very young. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible the, the idea that you would do that to another human being. Or, or child marriages, marrying off little girls. Um, or... Honor killings. Honor killings. It's when a family member kills a woman because she has dishonored the family because of adultery or because of premarital sex or something like that. I mean, this is true. Middle Ages barbarism. This is Dark Ages stuff. And we tolerate it. We tolerate it in the sense that we pretend that Saudi Arabia is our best friend. Now, these two women are incredibly courageous. Their lives are threatened constantly. And they stand up for women's rights, for women's rights, for the right of a woman to live a normal life, free life, to be able to drive in Saudi Arabia, not to have to cover their face and their body completely, to not have their genitals mutilated, to, to not be forced to marry at a young age. And they come to testify in front of Congress about this. And they are basically shunned by every Democratic senator on the panel, primarily by the female Democratic senators. Carmela Harris, Carmela Harris, the so-called feminist, the woman who cares about women's rights. And here are women who are actually putting their lives on the line to protect women's rights. Muslim women's rights. And Carmela Harris ignores them, pretends they don't even exist, doesn't say a word the entire session. And the same is true of the rest of the, of the, the, the Democrats and, and the female Democrats on, on the Senate panel. Just an unbelievable disgrace. And, and this should be a big story. This should be huge. The fact is, the fact is, and we need to make a big issue out of this, the left hates Muslim women. The left is not, and, and, you know, not that the right is a lot better. We'll get to that. But somebody has to defend Muslim women. They don't believe in individual rights. They believe in group rights. 
and therefore they believe in the rights of Muslims to oppress their own individuals. This is anti-American. This is anti-everything the Founding Fathers stood for. Ayn Hirsi Ali and Asan Omani are heroes. Are heroes that should be respected by everybody. And the idea that they will be shunned by the left, by the left that supposedly stands for women, just proves, just proves that unmasks them. That they care nothing about women's rights. That they care nothing about women. What they care about is group politics, is multiculturalism. How dare we tell Muslims or anybody else how they should live their lives? And this is why the founders, there's no group rights in the founding. It's about individual rights. You have a right not to be mutilated as a child. You have a right not to be raped as a child. That's an inalienable right. It doesn't matter what group you belong to. It doesn't matter what sex you have. This is an individual right. And, you know, it's time this country, left, right, center, all of us, return to this principle of individual rights. And that, that's true of healthcare, where you have an individual right to choose your own insurance and to choose your own doctor and negotiate your own price. You have an individual right to live free of force. All right. Thanks for listening. We're done this week. This is your Run Book Show. We'll be back next week. See you then. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.